Welcome to episode 102 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, it's the movie that's breaking viewership records for Hulu, thanks in no small, small part to the global pandemic going on, I'm sure, Palm Springs. But first, how are you, Scott? What other? What was the previous record for Hulu? <laughs> like, it couldn't have been a high bar. They don't have that many original like original films on Hulu. But uh, no, I, I'm... Surely? I don't know. Yeah, that probably didn't break any records. Um, so. Yeah, no, I'm 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 doing okay, Scott. It's a uh, it's a wild time as always here in week two thousand of self isolation. Uh, you have the bar coming up, which is now like right immediately on the horizon. So uh, <sighs> I guess the better question for you is, how are you doing? I'm not. I'm not doing. Um, <laughs> or you are doing. Unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah, you have, are doing. It'll be less than a week to go when you when you're listening to this probably um and yeah i mean this is the kind of thing that you'll never be fully ready for um you just have to go in and accept there's going to be some things that you don't know like it, it's it's a calculated gamble it, yeah. for, for whether you get coronavirus everybody. it's a calculated gamble. well yeah i mean that, that, there's that added element this year but just that hey you gotta you gotta roll the dice a little bit and hope that like there isn't that incredibly unlucky fall of the cards where like every single sub point of law that you don't understand somehow ends up on an essay question. Um, but I've done about all I can. And if that happens, then I will just blame the board of law examiners for uh, putting us in these, you know, interminable conditions, which they should not be doing. Let's, let's be very honest about that. No bathroom breaks, no clocks. I don't understand the clock. I, yeah, that's that's I don't understand the clocks, but that's Alabama. Um, who was doing no clocks and, and their rationale was um, because of social distancing, because we have to move, you know, have to space people out more. There's not a place in the room where we can put the clock that everyone can see it. And they just did not even consider that oh, we could buy two clocks. Like, Oh my gosh, could you imagine? I mean, we are talking about Alabama, but still like they, they you know, there's a certain level of, of cognitive, you know, processing that i think they would be uh capable of but yeah thankfully north carolina you know that they're they're being so reasonable about this they are letting us have clocks and go to the bathroom perhaps one of the most unreasonable thing that i've seen is in arizona where they uh you're not allowed to bring feminine hygiene products into the exam so that's that's great that's gotta be a law waiting to happen I mean, there's this whole thing is a lawsuit waiting to happen. Like, sure, but that's specifically around like sex. It is, but also at the same time, right? Because of the ridiculous bargaining power that they have, they make us all sign waivers saying we're not going to like if anything happens, you know, you're not liable for this. Um, Yeah, sure. The COVID element, but I'm sure there's like some Title IX lawsuits coming in hot for now. I mean, they are they are providing them there. Um, And of course, you know, this is no. This is no subject that I'm an expert in, but I have seen people saying it's not the same thing as being able to bring your own, like br- being able to bring your own products that you're you're comfortable with using. Yeah, totally. Whereas like, you know, using something that they've provided, you don't know how well it's going to work for you. You don't know how comfortable it is. And obviously you yep. want to be 
the most comfortable you can be when you're taking this thing. Um, and I mean, it, it, it is it is just absurd. It makes absolutely no sense. So there will be lawsuits in the wake of this thing. And I hope that bar, you know, boards of law examiners everywhere, uh, you know, get looted for all that they're worth because there's there's no excuse for the 23 states that are still doing the in-person in July. Yeah, well, uh, they, they might, in fact, be worthless. So I don't know how much money they're going to get out of them or what they're going to even get out of them. But yeah, it's the knows? point of it, I suppose. It's probably yes, it's the, the reason. Yeah. With with that rant over, uh, let's just you know think about the wonderful times that we're having here in quarantine, Scott. And nothing, truly nothing, hits close to home in quarantine like a movie about living the same day over and over again. Uh, and that's Palm Springs. Uh, to quote Matt Singer, this is one of those movies where a guy gets stuck in a time loop. This is one of those movies where a guy gets stuck in a time loop. Uh, that guy is Niles, played by Andy Samberg. And as the film opens, he's trapped in a couple of ways. He's trapped in a loveless relationship with the high-strung Misty, played by Meredith Hagner, but he's also trapped in the same day, specifically the day that Misty's best friend Tala, played by Camila Mendez, is getting married. However, unlike in Groundhog Day or Edge of Tomorrow or Happy Death Day or Before I Fall or any other movie with this central trope, Niles is actually not alone in the time loop. In fact, he's being hunted down by jaded family man Roy, played by J.K. Simmons, who is angry with Niles for bringing him into the magical cave that triggers the time loop. And soon, Roy isn't Niles' only victim. When Tala's sister Sarah, played by Kristen Milioti, follows Niles during a drunken wedding night hookup attempt, she too ends up in the magical cave and eventually becomes trapped in the time loop as well. In order to get out of the loop, if there is even a way out, Niles and Sarah will have to put their heads together and, more importantly, put up with each other as they relive Tala's wedding day over and over again. Scott, is Palm Springs a clever twist on the Groundhog Day formula, or, you do, or do you simply want to get out of this endless loop of loop movies we seem to find ourselves in? No, Scott, I would have loved to have stayed in this loop, loop longer with them. I mean, look, when just to go, I guess, kind of full spoilers towards the end of the film, like there's this whole conversation that Niles and, and Sarah have at the end of the film about like, no, why don't we just... Why, why can't we just stay here? Loop and I'm like, yeah, let's just life. stay here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's just stay here now. Because uh, that's kind of how I felt uh, the whole movie. It's just a really, really fun time. I think that in when you're asking around whether it's a, a clever twist, uh, I think it is, right? Like, I think the point that you're making there when you were talking about the film, that it's kind of the first of this subgenre that kind of sticks you in a time loop and not and have another person there with you. I mean, yeah, okay, technically, I guess two other people with you, right? You have Roy and, to your point, Sarah, as well. And I think that works really well. I think that it's also a really tight film. Like, I think this thing is a cool 90 minutes, but that's with, like, five or six minutes of credits. Like, I think it's, like, 84-minute runtime, really, in terms of um, start to the credits. And, and I think it's really breezy. It's really fun. I laughed a very large portion of this film, and I think that Andy Samberg and... Kristen Milioti have a lot of chemistry. And I think that those things combined with a, a relatively interesting take and interesting story for the most part, with only like one or two exceptions, I'd say really carry you through from minute one to minute 84. And it's just a really fun time. Uh, I think some of the plot is predictable, but that's not really that up. That, like, I don't really think that's that much of a problem. Like from the first shot uh, of Kristen Milioti, I'm like, well, she's clearly sleeping with, you know, so, with, with a very particular person who I won't get into that spot, but that, that was just like a dinosaurs. Oh, dude, I wrote that down. I wrote that down on a card before the movie started. I'm like, this movie's gonna have dinosaurs. For sure. 
<laughs> no, that was really funny. Um, but no, like I, I think that the plot can is somewhat predictable, but it's just so much fun along the way that I, I'm not particularly bothered by the predictability of, of the plot. I mean, it's uh, you know, it, it, in some ways it's it's very tropey and traditional, but in other ways, like you said, it adds these clever twists that I think keeps you engaged uh, long enough, and it also takes certain part, uh, you know, a certain part of the film brings t- like tears the characters apart where it makes you feel like you know they're alone and so i think you get like kind of the best of both worlds it shows that it's capable of being something different in the subgenre but also capable of being something that's that's more familiar or maybe more similar to other versions as well and i think it's capable on both fronts although i think the most fun is is when the two people are together but overall really enjoyed this film and in terms of groundhog day romantic in parentheses comedies during quarantine uh this is a lot better than love wedding repeat yeah you'll notice that i left that out of my laundry list of uh of you know of groundhog day movies just because i am you know totally leaving it out of my memory as well um yeah. but yeah scott th- this is a blast um i this is not one like a, a few movies that we discussed recently where i don't understand the critical hype for it i definitely understand it, it's this is a re- really really fun movie and yeah maybe it has something added because you know it's quarantine and um number one we're you know we're lacking great movies and everything coming out right now and number two just because you know the time loop element of the movie is something that's feeling very relatable to people right now i think both of those are reasons why it works maybe uh but that's fine you know like there there you know this is not the first time that a movie has been made better by the context that it has been released in we talked about recently when we did our top 10 favorite movies right the uh, when arrival came out right after the 2016 election um that like was really it was a really comforting movie to people at, at that particular time and so the context amplified the movie i think the context amplifies this movie and that's not a bad thing that's not to say that it's a you know bad movie or that we wouldn't like it under different circumstances because i think it is really good but Regardless, yeah, I think that I, I I agree with what you're saying, and obviously this I I mean I really enjoy these Groundhog Day style movies. Like, you know, it, it, it's one thing to say that they do it a lot, and sure they do, but as long as they're making them good, like I don't really care, right? Like, Edge of Tomorrow is a great sci-fi action movie. Before I Fall, I really liked uh, as a coming of age movie, and then obviously Happy Death Day is um, you know a personal favorite of mine, a movie that I've watched you know, six, seven times probably since it's come out in 2017. I just think it's it's so much fun. And yes, this movie, like all of those other movies, right? It's doing something slightly different, right? Like it, it's putting it, you know, those other movies, they kind of transported it to different genres, different settings a little bit. Um, and this movie, the different thing that it is doing is adding a second person and a third person, I mean, technically into the time loop, even though it mainly focuses on Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti. Um, and I think that that has mostly pros to it. And I think what one of the major pros is that you can be a lot more economical with your storytelling. To your point, it's a it's a breezy film. And part of that is because we don't have to go through, like in most of these uh, Groundhog Day movies, the, because it's just one person, it takes them like two or three loops, right, to figure out, hey, I, this is what's going on. Like I'm actually living the same day over and over again. Cause obviously, you know, it's not like the first thing you think of, you just think, Oh, it's a dream. That's probably like your second loop. And then you wake up and you're like, okay, something's not right here. And then maybe by the fourth day, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm stuck in a loop. I'm living the same day. But here it like, what happens is, I mean, this isn't really a spoiler. Like, you know, Sarah wakes up after repeating the day for the, on the first day that she is repeating it, and she finds Niles, and because he's been stuck in there, which is like another element of the 
you know, movie that I think makes the two person work well, the fact that he's been stuck in there, right? He can be like, hey, you're stuck in a time loop. I know everything that's going to happen. We don't have to go through this over and over again. We can just focus on getting out of it and like, you know, making the most of our time in the loop or whatever, depending on, uh, you know, the approaches that they take. And so that I think is a major pro to the movie and gives us something different than we're used to seeing in the the Groundhog Day movies. Because I mean, you know, even, even as fun as they turn out to be, like, like I said, you kind of know like the mindset of the characters and how it's going to progress as they go deeper into the you know loops and stuff. But here, that that's a nice wrench in the mix. I think there is somewhat of a con too to the fact that there's more economical storytelling. And I'll get more into it when we talk about the ending. But I do think that like the place, the relationship with this that these characters end up with in the end feels a little rushed. Maybe uh, I think because. Um, they're having to grapple with two characters. And again, because they're um, being more economical with the number of loops that you're actually seeing. And so you're not going on as much of a journey. I feel like as you are in a movie like happy death day, for example, or like, I think you are, you are really getting to see a, a huge arc in trees character in that movie. Whereas here, well, also yes. part of the whole, the whole hook there is that in both of them that you have these huge montages of deaths that right. goes through, which yeah. gives you that sense. Yeah. I mean, the montage is, is a classic element of yeah. these movies. It's in edge of tomorrow too, right? Like him, him dying and landing and dying. Ways, over and over. Like, yeah. You can't make one of these movies without, uh, that montage, but hey, it's it still works. I think that the stars are really charismatic. Um, I I think Andy Samberg is a guy. I, you know, I haven't watched some of his like movies that people really like, like Hot Rod and Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. Like those are movies that people swear by as like some of the best comedies of the last 15, 20 years. Um, and yeah, but this something like this makes me want to watch them because I do think his humor is probably a little bit more on my wavelength than. Um, than, you know, a lot of big comedy stars out there. And I think Kristen Milioti is a real star here. I mean, she's mainly known for being on How I Met Your Mother um, and hasn't really maybe gotten to flex her movie chops. Uh, but in this leading role, I think she is a perfect complement to, to Sandberg. I think they have great chemistry together. I think the characters are, are different in ways that um, makes their relationship interesting to watch. I think that she is, you know, gives a tour de force here, and I, I look forward to to seeing more from her in the future. J.K. Simmons, great um, as always. Yeah, and and I think that just in general, some of the plot twists, right? That's what I was not expecting. Is that there are two or three pretty solid plot twists, and I, I will say I kind of already gave one of them away, like the fact that Niles has already been stuck in the loop. I think is, like is a, it seems like years. He's been yeah. Talking. I think is a clever twist because like you watch this opening scene before you ever actually realize that, or you watch him go through the day one time, and there are certain things that seem like a little bit off, but you don't understand why. And then when he reveals that, it's like, oh, that makes sense, right? Like why he um, gives the speech at the wedding, right? Which is like really great. Oh, um, funny. Yeah. And, and like, uh, you know, and June Squibb shows up too uh, as the old lady who's like, yeah, Hey, you did a great shot. It's because he's given this, you know, he's figured out how to give the right speech after however many times he's done it. There's the conversation that he has with, with Sarah when he like meets her for the first time in the movie. And, um, that seems a little off again. And then that reveal happens and you're like, Oh, and so I, and that happens other times in the movie too. There are, there are certain reveals that happen. Um, where i mean i thought i thought that they were cleverly done and they 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 revealed certain things at the right time uh and so i like that the movie yeah yeah there's definitely predictability to it but it keeps you guessing um 
and so yeah overall i just i had a really good time it's one of my favorites of the year um for sure so far not that it's a hugely high bar but i think this is a really great movie and most a lot of people seem to be watching it if you're not on the train yet definitely check it out um scott let's talk about the cast um Andy Samberg, Christian, Kristen Milioti are your stars here. Um, you know, I think we both hinted that we we really enjoyed the performances here. Um, you know, what about these two performances? You know, one from a more veteran comedic talent and one from maybe a sort of a burgeoning star uh, really drew you into the movie. Yeah, I think the biggest part is one the the comedic chops of Andy Samberg. I think that he gets you pretty engaged and. I don't know the whole character of this like completely worn down guy who's been in this loop for years, who's just like so fed up with everything and just like essentially screws with everyone. Like like the whole interaction that he has with his like girlfriend Misty or whatever, where he just like he's just saying exactly what she's about to say every single time. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know, it's so funny and and so believable. So it feels like the role is just like perfectly cast. I mean, I don't know how integral he was to the whole production of this film. I, I know that it's not like it's not like a Lonely Islands production. Um, cause it's directed by Mark's Max Barbacow and written by Andy Sierra. So I know it's not like a keep a Schaefer and, and the other people who are in the lonely Island, but, um, I think he, he's perfectly cast for the role. And the other aspect of that is just the, the chemistry that he has with Kristen Milioti and also just the performance from Kristen Milioti. And in particular, I just think it's really strong. Like, I don't know, something about the, just like the standalone charisma of this character of Sarah, I think really works. Like she's this kind of aloof like somewhat aloof kind of i don't know like red-haired step like stepchild in, in the family yeah, it's like, clear she doesn't fit in with her family exactly yeah i mean and you know we learned not to just they keep throwing spoilers i don't think this is like again i don't think this is a huge point, but we learned that she's been married before and got like divorced i mean presumably divorced yeah she's divorced um and, and i think that it's it adds a really interesting element and i think j- just the character is performed really well by her and I think when you put them two side by side there and you get the chemistry that the two of them have together, look like I would have taken another 90 minutes of it, just to be honest. Maybe I would have been worn out by the end of it, but I don't know. Like at the end of this 90 minutes, I was like, yeah, throw me, throw me some more. Yeah, totally. I, I think they're, they're both great. Like you said, I think Andy Sandberg really nails like the nihilistic vibe of this character who, you know, he's, he's resigned himself to just, like you said, kind of figuring out, crazy ways to entertain himself during this, you know, incredibly monotonous, what has become an incredibly monotonous cycle for him. And then like he finds all of these new ways to do that and, you know, gets a new lease on life when, you know, he meets Sarah, they are, they are stuck in the loop together. And, um, you know, there's, there's, he gets past the point with her of like trying to convince her like, that you're not going to get out of the loop, just stop trying, like just embrace it or whatever. And then that's when we get, you know, the montage of all, you know, sort of their misadventures together. And that's really, you know, he, he's, he kind of, he, again, he kind of gets a new lease on life. I got to say, I love the, the dancing scene when they come into the, the pool hall bar thing and they're in like the jean jackets and like the eighties clothes and uh, they're dancing to like the eighties music and, like the people are just looking at them like what the heck i thought they they crushed it in that scene but yeah. is, that, um, is that also the same scene where they have like the birth like the like happy millionth birthday or whatever i thought that was really funny yeah I, that might have been a different one but yeah, yeah. no there, there's there's some i think it was in the moments. montage but yeah, yeah yeah but yeah they they, they play really really well together and i, I mean I, I like again i like the the places where their personalities converge eventually yeah. like that it makes sense that they connect in this way right because like um 
again, like like you said, she is kind of the you know redheaded stepchild of her family. She's she doesn't fit in with her family, and it's clear that like Niles, the guy that Niles wants to be, also doesn't fit in with all of these people, right? Like he he shouldn't be in a relationship with Misty. That's very clear. Um, he like doesn't really know how to talk to um, to Tala's parents and Sarah's parents, Peter Gallagher playing the dad. Like he, he, it's clear that he's just like, you know, a lot goofier. And again, just doesn't really fit in with this like affluent, uh, you know, wedding lifestyle that they are um, playing out. And, and so, yeah, they, 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 as the two outcasts, they really like meet. And yes, there's that initial class clash of personalities because he has, um, you know, brought her into this loop. And obviously it's not necessarily the greatest place to be, but they make it a great place. And yeah, like you said, by the end there, there's the conversation of whether they even want to to get out of the loop. And there's, there, you know, there ends up being a lot of heart in the movie, which I, I really like. Like it is a funny movie, but, you know, they kind of turned down the comedy a little bit, maybe for the last half hour or so. And they, I think the the territory they get into is is definitely more heartfelt and and the direction that I wanted it to go. And so I I really appreciated that. But Scott, as far as the supporting cast goes, um, you know, there's some definitely some recognizable faces here. Obviously, I mentioned J.K. Simmons being a big one. Peter Gallagher as, uh, you know, Tala and Sarah's father. Camila Mendez and Tyler Hecklin are playing the the married couple. Meredith Hagner playing Misty. Um, who stood out to you, if anyone, from the supporting cast? Yeah, you know, honestly, I, as much as I love J.K. Simmons and, and the supporting cast here, I, I think that so much of this film just relies on on Kristen Milioti and Andy Samberg that I wouldn't even particularly want to call out anyone in particular in the supporting cast as being particularly impactful to the film. But look, J.K. Simmons is a bright spot whenever he pops up. Like, it's so funny, I think, when just in like the first like the first sequence when he shoots Andy Samberg in the back with an arrow when he's about to hook up with. I mean, that's just like so funny. And I think that the whole scene where or he pulls them over in a cop car or whatever uh, like that whole sequence is, is funny. Like there's definitely some really good moments in the film when J.K. Simmons is there. I don't know if it's entirely reliant on on Simmons, though. And, and overall, again, I just think so much of the legwork is done by Sandberg and and Miliotti that look like, yeah, we can call out we can call out J.K. Simmons. We can call out um, Meredith Hagner, who plays Misty, who I think is. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've seen Meredith Hagner or anything else, um, really, to be honest. But like, I don't know. It's like a very, it's it's funny in like the very one dimensional stereotype, like stereotypical character that she's playing. But overall, I just think so much of the joy that I get out of this film comes from those two central performances. Yeah, I, I mostly agree. I will say, I th I do think J.K. Simmons has a big scene towards the end, like one of the one of the more important scenes in the movie for me. And talking about that, you know, every romantic comedy has to have it. Yeah, talking about that heart in the movie, I think the maybe the most important scene towards that is the scene that he has with with uh, with Niles towards the end of the movie. And I thought that it, it worked really well. Like this, the the line of "Find your Irvine" was like a a nice little truth um, in in this movie that I wasn't expecting to find. Right? Like I, I just thought this was going to be kind of a you know a goofy comedy. Um, and you know it, that's is sort of the direction that it's going. And but then I I think you know, they they really have to confront things about the loop and life in the loop in a, in a way that makes sense. And I think 
you know, to some extent, all of the, you know, time travel or the, you know, time loop movies also get to get to a similar point where, um, you know, it's like they're having to grow as people because of, um, you know, or they, they learn to grow as people because of this, you know, experiment that they find themselves in because of living the whole day over and over again. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about Happy Death Day is that is the journey again that uh, that tree goes on over the course of the movie. That's really like the the best part of the movie. It's not, you know, the the kills and, you know, the the horror sort of hook that is in that movie. And same the same thing here. I think what takes this up a notch from just being an enjoyable comedy is that added layer of heart and of, you know, there there's some like I said, there's some truth in the movie. I will say they actually they rip they rip a line straight out of the movie her strangely enough, when Andy Samberg is at the bar and he says that I feel like I've felt everything that I want to, that I've, uh, that I'm going to feel. Um, that's literally a line from her, but, um, I still think it works in the context of the movie because like, it, it makes sense, right. In the context of this movie that he has gone through this day so many times, he's experienced everything there is to experience about this, uh, one day. And he just feels like emotionally, you know, drained now. So even though there's a little bit of plagiarism there, uh, I think I think it works out okay. But uh, I think that- overall, guys, that like the sequel to this film has to be that like I don't know, like so- somehow like Roy gets Andy Samberg back into the time loop, pulls <laughs> him back into the cave, and brings him brings like uh, Andy Samberg back in, and then Andy out of spite, Andy Samberg brings the entire wedding party into the time loop, <laughs> and this entire wedding party has to live the day over and over again. Like, oh my goodness, that would just be a wild. A wild concept. Yeah. And then a, a last thing about the sporting cast. I, I, I don't know why, but I loved Peter Gallagher's delivery of the line. Yeah. After Tala gets her tooth, her teeth knocked out in one of the first loops. Uh, he says something like he, he's talking about the dentist. He's like the dentist glues teeth. And the like just the way, teeth, yeah. the way that he delivers the line, I thought was just like strangely hilarious. Um, yeah. And so, so shout out to him for that. Although I agree that, you know, this movie r- rides a lot on the strength of the stars, and I think it succeeds a lot because they are so strong. But yeah. um, Scott, looking elsewhere, talking about you know the plot uh, of the movie, and maybe talking about some of those twists I mentioned earlier. Now, you alluded er- earlier that you saw it coming, right? That uh, that Sarah is sleeping with Tyler Hecklin's character with the groom uh, in the wedding. Um, did it still work for you? Like, did it explained more about the character, I think, in the way that it's supposed to in the movie. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I think I think it does from a one sided perspective, right? Like from the from Sarah's perspective, I think you you really understand, like, even though she's having these really good experiences with Andy Samberg's uh, Niles, like they're sharing this time together and they're having a really good time. Like the reality is like every single day she has to wake up knowing like living living with like a mistake and like harm that she has like done to someone she loves and i think that really adds a lot of depth to that side of the character i think that the way that's used on like the other side of the coin with um with abe is abe's his, abe's his name right abe um is like kind yeah, of the, the groom yeah yeah i mean like i think kind of like the arcs the arcs if there are such things for the other supporting characters who aren't in the loop who are just like not re- like obviously not remembering and not having the same experience as niles and sarah is a little bit weird like I think that's not used for too much, which is fine because I think even what it was used for, it's just like kind of shruggy. Be like, don't mess up. Like just telling him to like not hurt 
his sister, I'm like, well, dude, like you slept with him. <laughs> like, what are you going to do about it? You know, you, you already did the harm there if she ever found out. But I think overall it works really well, adding depth to Sarah's character, to Kristen Milioti's character. And, and from that perspective, I was fine with it. Like even seeing it coming, it just makes you appreciate the experience and like the dissonance that she might be having every single day having to live with the reality of the mistakes that she's made while also having, you know, on the surface, having a good time with Andy Samberg's character. So I think there's, there's a lot to mess with there. Um, you were talking about just to go back a second ago, and this isn't a plot to us, but some of the scene, like the scene with Roy that Andy Samberg has kind of like the other, the other side of the emotional coin in this, in this relationship. I think it's fine. Like I, I sh like, I think it earns the scene, but ultimately I still was just kind of shrugging my shoulders. Be like, yeah, every, every movie like this has to have a scene where, the other person like better appreciates things that are happening around them and has to have this like new perspective on life, which is fine. Like that's fine. It doesn't do much for me, yeah, but just like the okay. montage, it's an essential component of these films. Yeah. Except, uh, except I enjoy the montages a little bit more than, than the come to Jesus talks. But uh, I mean, that is what it is. I, I don't mean to like hate on it at all. It's just like, yeah. that was one of like the more tropey things that I shook my shoulder at a little bit. Whereas like the montages are a little bit more fun. And even if you see them in every groundhog day, type movie that, that I think they're when they're done right, they're still fun. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was something just about J.K. Simmons and the quality of him as an actor that was able to sell it better maybe than in, in, yeah. in some other movies. But yeah, no, I, okay. I, I really did like that scene. But um, yeah, the, as far as the, you know, the twist involving Abe and Sarah, I mean, I'm probably dumb, but I, you know, I didn't yeah, necessarily no. see it coming. Um, I was watching. I was watching this with with Karen, and she didn't see it coming. Yeah. I was like telling her like, "Wow!" I was watching. I was like, this, "Like she's sleeping with with the other." One. She's like, "No, how do you know that?" There's no way. again. Again, it's clear that like, you know, like a good plot twist, right? They are they're leaving you the tracks. They're leaving you the clues. There's you know, there's clearly something not right, right? Because you know, once they are sort of bonding, and he's telling her, you know, you're a good person, blah blah blah, blah and she's like, "No, I'm not." Like you don't even you don't know. And so there, there's obviously something there. Yeah, but. I don't think they they quite let on what that is. I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be, um, you know, that she was hooking up with the groom. But, yeah. you know, it, it, it makes sense. And like you said, I think it adds layers to her character that, um, you know, she this this is what she has to overcome. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Niles kind of has to overcome his nihilism or whatever in his sort Living of. Himself, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, with being, you know, solitary in this for all this time. And she has to, you know, overcome herself in a way too, or uh, you know, the the low self image maybe that she she has of herself. Yeah, I feel like these are like this is like one of the few plot twists that I can actually see, like that I actually see coming. I feel like much more often like you're seeing <laughs> plot twists coming. To be honest, um, but no, this one for me was like she's clearly sleeping with someone, and the only person that would have any narrative significance is the groom. Like just like no one, no one else would make sense in terms of the story. So. Or at least it wouldn't add anything. I should, I'd say it wouldn't add anything. Yeah. I mean, if I had thought about it more, I probably would have gotten there. But I guess I just didn't even get to point A of she's obviously sleeping with someone, even though, like, yeah. I think that's definitely hinted at there. But yeah, it, it, the only way I caught it was that there's like a men's dress shirt in, in her room when she wakes uh, up the first time. Uh, so. There you go. See, they're leaving the clues. But um, I, and then another thing, Scott, that I think is kind of a twist you know, on the flip side, again, you're, they're revealing certain things about the characters um, that I think, and I think they're revealing them at smart points in the movie. Like, and the thing mm -hmm. we learned about, about Niles is basically that he, he has lied to her about, you know, that they had never really tried to hook up or anything 
yeah. you know, in the in his past loops before she was caught in the loop too. In fact, he has like you know slept around with her a lot. It seems like and many uh, many times. And yeah, and, and that's again that goes back and that explains that very first scene, right? The the conversation that they're having. The reason he's so forward about you know talking to her is that um, he knows you know how this ends basically. Um, and, and so uh, and he's probably gotten to try a lot of different strategies. Um, Seems that way. I thought that that was an interesting twist, Scott. And again, revealed certain things about the character that uh, that 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 makes sense and. That again, that he has to overcome that that's part of that living with himself thing, right? Is that he now that he's actually gotten to know this person, now that he's like actually had a connection with her and then like you know, slept with her after like uh, you know, they've actually really uh connected over a course of a lot of different days, um, he sees her in a different light and feels very guilty probably about what he he did in the past of sort of just using her yeah, um, taking advantage of her yeah, yeah. um and so i i think that um that works to explain his character and and right like there there was there's was always going to be a place where these two characters like have a rift right and it's split and they split apart and then you know some something has to be done in the last third of the movie to maybe bring them back together maybe not um and I thought that this was a smart place, um, you know, in in the story, in the script, for them to break apart. Like I, I thought, I, I think this is uh, a point where they would naturally, um, you know, br- break apart, and and they w- they would be separated, and uh, they would have this period that I think it is is necessary to the movie. So it didn't it didn't feel like there was something that was like very deliberately constructed or thrown in their path to, uh, you know, to separate them apart. I think that. Um, it was, you know, something that was weaved in there from the very beginning. So I liked that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think the, the end, just talking about the end and more, mm-hmm. more generally, like the, the only, the only places where I feel like it really slows down a little bit in terms of where it's going is, is like when it realizes that it like has to finish up and it's not even that they don't know how to tie it up the right way. Cause it ties up and I'll get into that in a second. Like it ties up very, in a very satisfying way. Like I love the last, you know, the last scene of the film is hilarious um and the mid even the mid credit scene because did you did you watch the mid credit scene I, I didn't know if you might have turned it off early yes yeah with with Simmons. Simmons, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah yeah um like i i loved that scene like like everything right right like at the yeah. very end works and really it's well. an, again it's another nice sort of like emotional moment right where he realizes that hey mm-hmm. they made it out um yeah. and oh yeah but but i do think that like the only place where it's like feels just like a just a teeny bit forest where it, where it does lose a little bit of its luster for me is um it is like these times where it's like trying to force them back together because I, I think it's believable but it, it feels like it's also trying because you talked about it, like it, it kind of leaves the comedic aspects aside a little bit for the last portion i kind of wish they just like completely done like rather than like being a little bit indecisive because they have this whole like comedy trip where he's like the car he steals breaks down he has to like get a ride from this like rant like the the gun the gun range owner or whatever yeah and talks about him being his like long lost son or whatever which is like I laughed, I but it felt weird. Funny, like, yeah. it, no, it was funny. It, it was like it was funny, and I, I think that almost all the jokes in this film land. Um, but some, but something about that is just like, was this like was this extra joke needed after if, if it is trying to be a little bit more serious? And I, again, I think that I, it, it's a small thing. When a movie's good, right? Like you only find the small things to nitpick. Um, and I think that's that's what I'm doing there. But it does slow down a little bit when it tries to balance being more serious and the comedic and its comedic roots. I, and I think it would have been I think it would have been okay if it just switched gears and been more serious. Yeah, and I mean, 
the the one thing that I, that keeps it from being a home run for me that I was you know alluding to earlier, I think, is that the downside of this, um, you know, this having two people stuck in the loop, this getting to be a little more efficient with your storytelling, is that mm-hmm. I just don't think we get as great of a sense of the journey of these characters. I mean, I, I still think it works and is believable, yeah. but in the end, when they are like, I love you. Like I was, I was like, yeah. Whoa, like what, uh, this doesn't seem to be necessarily like, yes, they should be together. And it's clear that they have feelings for each other and a real connection. But like, yeah. I love you, even though, like, even though it probably would actually make sense because they have spent so many days together. Right. Like, yeah. I don't think that we feel that because we don't go through as many loops because, uh, you know, again, because of this whole central thing that I'm talking about at the beginning where they get to move really quickly into it because he's already been there. He knows what to do and he knows what to, to tell her. Um, so we don't, we don't feel it as much, uh, there. And also because, you know, like the montage or whatever is doing a lot of the legwork and it's fun and it's a great montage. And I, you know, I'm glad that it's in the movie, but like, that is like, you're supposed to, you know, get that that's a lot of days happening or whatever. And I don't think that you, you feel that when it's going by so quickly. Right. And, and so even if, Yes, it maybe it would make literal sense that they could be in love, that they would be in love after the amount of days that you have they have spent together in the time loop. We don't feel that uh, like we do in other time travel movies, right? Where it is just the one person, so it is focusing on that one person's journey the whole time. So I think that is the downside of this approach. Even though ultimately, obviously, I'm glad that the movie went with this approach. I'm glad that it did something different. Yeah, uh, and I do think it works. Yeah, I think I think that situation. And that specific moment makes a lot of sense for Andy Samberg's character, even though you haven't experienced the, like the full amount of time he's been in this loop. Like he's been in this loop for what seems like years. Like it, like it generally just feels like he's been in this for thousands of days, and like he doesn't even remember what his job was anymore. Mm-hmm. If you if you believe that scene, um, and, and I think that is really significant. And I think that knowing like with that knowledge and thinking about that and seeing like the trauma that that has like put him through over like the, the thousands of days he's been in that loop i i think you can believe him being like look like i've only spent a relatively small number of days with you relative to the number of days i've spent here but like because i spent so many days in here like these like i don't know what to do like i don't know what to call or do with these emotions that i have for you so i'm gonna call that love like regardless of whether it's love or not yeah and i think it makes a lot of sense for for niles and but and on miliati and, and on sarah's side Kristen miliati's character i think that it is a bit strange. It's that side of the, you know, that side of the relationship there that, that feels a little bit strange for her to be saying that. And the only way that I can kind of, I guess, reckon that and, and make sense of that is just that I think she's just really happy to have found someone who kind of accepts her for being the outcast that she is. Like she can be herself uh, around her and, and she lives a life like on a daily basis where, you know, her family kind of rejects her personality and who she is a, as a member of the family and obviously her, you know, ex-husband. That didn't work out either. So I think that you can see a little bit there, although I think that's a little bit more of a reach and you have to do a little bit more thought to, to get there rather than just experiencing what's happening. So I, I agree to an extent with what you're saying. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think all of that is there. It's just, yeah. you know, I love you feels like a big jump. Agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I do agree with that in the end. But again, great movie. Um, I I'm as a happy death day stand. I'm always going to be like, it was better, but they're both a ton of fun. Um, yeah, it's hard to compare them too because I don't know. Yeah, like I think I was reading whoever reviewed it for Variety. I think maybe Peter DeBruge said that it's like that this movie is the essentially the irreverent Groundhog Day that Zombieland was to like zombie movies, like un- undead undead movies. Like yeah. there's no 
there's no real, I guess, pre like, I don't know, precursor to this film in the subgenre that was like mm -hmm. as irreverent to the genre as this one is. And Happy Death Day obviously takes it like almost all the Groundhog Day movies like take themselves pretty seriously. So. Yeah, it's, I, it's I wouldn't say the Happy Death Day takes itself that seriously, but regardless, I think what you're what you're saying is it they are existing in their own versions of this Groundhog Day. All, all, I mean, all of these movies that I've talked about yeah. are their own version of the Groundhog Day trope, and that's why they work, right? E even yeah. though we can recognize that, oh, here we go, here's another Groundhog Day movie. Yeah, it's like that is oversimplifying it because they all are actually doing something pretty different with the idea even where these like occasional tropey scenes montages whatever pop up yeah. um, on the whole i think you can appreciate all all of these movies for for what they do not love winning repeat but the other ones um but scott with that i think we can move into our wrap up for palm springs uh, what was your favorite scene or moment from this film honestly uh, it's hard because i think so much of this is just a lot is just like fun but if I had to pick pick a singular moment that was fun, I, I think it would probably have to be in the mont. I think it was in the montage, wherever it was, is like this little birthday party that Sarah throws for Niles at at the bar, where it's like Happy Millionth Loser or whatever it is, like on on the. And I think that that moment or a series of moments, I think, just really encapsulates everything fun about this film. Like you get the two lead characters uh, riffing off each other really well. And it's just like it's happy, right? It's it's weird. Like you 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 live it. You're like we're in quarantine right now, right? And you, this is going back to something that you said at the very beginning, where it all kind of just feels like we're living the same day over oh, and yeah. over again. Oh yeah. And so it's nice to to see people uh, li living a day over and over again, and and really and you know being happy with like the day and making the most of it. I think it reminds you that you can still make the most of of your time in self isolation. So I appreciated that. Yeah. And on that note, like I, I'll, I mean, I've said some of my favorite scenes, but I will go with the ending uh, because, yeah, you know, they really they've discovered that they uh, or they are trying to figure out, it seems. I mean, I personally I mean, they obviously would have figured it out by then, I think. Uh, no, I think they had figured it out by then. Okay. Movies like. Yeah. Like, but or the audience hasn't figured it out necessarily yeah. yet because you just see the scene of them floating in the pool that you have seen. Other, at other times in the movie uh, at this at these people's house, right. That Niles continually goes to, he's like, because they don't come back on the eighth or whatever the date is. I think it was the eighth. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we see them in this ending and they come back and yeah. that's how, you know, they realize and, uh, you know, they're like, get out of our pool and all this stuff, which I thought was great. But um, and they don't even get out, which is the funny part. <laughs> yeah. Floating. But it feels like that's going to be the like, joy when when they look at each other and like realize that hey we actually did it we made it out or whatever that's going to be the joy of us when we get out of quarantine finally like when we go outside when we go hang out with other people for the first time or whatever when i go uh, to a movie theater for the first time and feel yes safe. it's going to be like the ninth or the 10th or whatever the date is um the 10th yeah as i saw somebody saying that is it july 10th is that or no no November. It's in the fall, is it November? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw somebody saying that film Twitter is going to be insufferable on November 10th this year or November 9th this year. Um, I was like, okay, pump the brakes there. But um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good scene. I'll go with that as my favorite. Um, Scott, put a score. I'm on. glad you brought it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, score it. No, great, great. Really, really enjoyable film. 8.0. Yeah, I mean, I'm going back and forth right now between this and Shirley for my favorite film of the year. I think... Look, we didn't necessarily talk about this, but Hulu, right? Crushing it this year with this movie, with Shirley, right? My top two of the year, both Hulu. We had, you know, they had Normal People, which is a show that, um, 
you're obsessed with. I also really, really loved it. Uh, they had High Fidelity earlier this year, which is another fantastic show, like five-star show for me. I absolutely loved it. Um, and Great so, Scott Harvey show. Yeah, it is. But, uh, you know, I'm not alone in, in loving it. But um, I'm saying it's very catered towards you. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not a hit on anything. It's just like you should. Scary. Yeah, you should still watch it. But um, but Hulu is owning 2020. And thank goodness for them, because we need our, our content right now. And this is another great example. I give it a 9.0. I think this is one of the top movies this year. So I really enjoyed it. And something that has gone. Yes, Hulu did distribute this film. But this is a neon film, Scott. Neon just like Charlie one. was as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah neon so. and Hulu doing good stuff. Yeah, this this partnership is is uh, you know blooming into something really, really good. So I look forward to seeing you know the the rest of their output. Maybe they can give us one or two more good ones before the end of the year. I'd definitely be down for that. But Scott, speaking of uh, upcoming movies, after the break, we are going to be talking about two big ones not coming to Hulu but coming to Netflix uh, that will hopefully be a lot better than some of the Netflix releases that we've had this year. Um, and, but we'll be talking about those after the break. So join us then. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. All right, Scott, before we conclude today, a couple of big Netflix movies to talk about, as I alluded to before the break. We found out a couple of uh, you know big new projects that are going to be coming to Netflix from big directors. Um, and you wanted to talk about uh, a film that Joe and Anthony Russo, the Russo brothers uh, of, of course, Avengers Endgame and, you know, recent MCU film uh, fame, uh, are, are going to be making the biggest budgeted Netflix movie ever. Um, tell Could you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, the budget for this film is surpassing that of, I think, is it is it Red and um, Six Underground, whatever these, like, huge, huge, like, heist, like, cr like crime. I don't know what Red is, but yeah. I can't remember yeah. if it's Red. It's the one with Gal Gadot and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It hasn't come out yet, but it's in, I know. It's oh, in, right, right, right. It, it's, I think I it's think called there's another word in the title, but yeah, I think. Yeah, red. Yeah, something like that. So, so yeah. something, something of that, of that. Uh, uh I'm sure I will get corrected really quick. I mean, I'm sure I can Google it right now and figure it out. But it doesn't matter. But yeah, th those are all like big budget Netflix action movies that you know have obviously Netflix has splashed the cash on recently. Obviously, they splashed a lot of cash on the Irishman last year as well with all the de aging technology used for the core cast. But uh, the granddaddy of them all in terms of budget is apparently going to be this film directed by the Rooster Brothers. As you described, I think this is this their first director directorial effort since Avengers Endgame. I don't think they're. I don't think they have anything else in the tank. Yeah, just producing. yeah. They've been doing a lot of producing with their with their studio Agbo. Uh, they did obviously they produced Extraction this year, for which I think Joe Russo wrote the script for. Mm -hmm. And uh, but yeah, so this is their first project in in the directing chairs again, and it's starring Ryan Gosling and um, Chris Evans, who. Uh, the latter of which obviously had uh, has a lot of experience working with Captain America, uh, Civil War, and then moving on, of course, to the to the two Avengers films. Did they do? They didn't do Winter Soldier, did they? Or did they? Yeah, do they, Winter, mm -hmm. yeah they also Winter did Soldier, Soldier, Civil War, and then the yeah, two so, Avengers. right. So first doing Winter Soldier, and then Civil War, and then the two Avengers movies. So I guess Cap would be the one that have the most experience working with. So so Chris Evans there, a lot of experience with the Russo brothers, and I think. Of note as well on, on the on, you know thinking about this topic of of the MCU films is that 
the writing the script for the gray man is going to be uh, Marcus and McFeely, Christopher Marcus and um, uh, Stephen, Stephen McFeely. I can't remember McFeely's first name, but uh, yeah. So the, so Marcus and McFeely, the people who wrote, uh, I think I know civil war and infinity war and Endgame, maybe a couple others in there as well. I can't really remember all their writing credits in the MCU right at this moment, but they will be writing the script for this film. And so it's really kind of the MCU getting back together and then throwing in, Ryan Gosling. And so a lot to look forward to in terms of splashy casting, directing, writing talent here. If you are, you know, of the affinity of, uh, you know, of liking something like a Blade Runner 2049 with Ryan Gosling and then uh, liking the MCU and what, and what the Russo brothers, Marcus and McFeely and Chris Evans have done in the MCU. So I think there's a lot to love there uh, from my experience with, with them. And, and this film is supposed to be sort of a one-on-one action, you know, one V one action espionage, thriller type where this former cia agent uh who is played by gosling um is being hunted by one of his former uh i guess colleagues which is chris evans's character and yeah it just it looks like it's gonna I, i'm not really 100 sure what they're gonna spend 200 million dollars on with this film unless there's just some big set pieces to spend money on but also the way netflix does business is that they're buying out the back ends of all these stars by paying them higher upfront costs, because obviously there's going to be no box office gross for these films to pay uh, that the stars get a percentage of on the back end. So they're they're paying more upfront for the likes of the Russo brothers, Marcus and McFeely, certainly Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling. So I, I'm sure a, a good chunk of that $200 million is going to the talent involved with the film. And I'm sure there'll be a few other members of the cast as well that probably are pretty splashy when all is said and done. But overall, this is exciting, right? Like if, if the Russo brothers and Marcus and McFeely can put together something that is, you know, even in the re, you know, in the realm of as compelling as some of the stuff they did in the MCU. I think we're in for a treat. It's whether or not there's going to be enough uh, creative curation of their of their thoughts and their ideas onto the page. Because I think as we've as we know, nearly every time we review a Netflix film, it seems like a lot. There's not very much producing going on over at Netflix. It's very much whatever you want, have fun. And, and I think sometimes we benefit from that. Sometimes we don't. And so after watching something like you know, extraction that the you know that Joe Russo was involved in and was produced by the Russo brothers of the Agbo. It just can, I, I'm a little skeptical that they can keep that vision refined enough to actually land something that that really hits. But at the same time, that's one miss, and they had a lot of hits in the MCU. So I'm willing to give them enough rope to hang themselves with. Yeah, no, no, totally. I mean, look, I didn't like extraction, um, but maybe like writing isn't their strong point. And, you know, maybe that's why, uh, you know, Marcus and McFeely, to your point, were brought back here and uh, maybe with more control behind the camera, because obviously they didn't direct extraction. Um, they they'll be able to make something really cool here. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, people have definitely had questions about the two hundred million dollar price tag. But as I said to you, Scott, as I will continue to say when I hear about movies with crazy budgets, if how do you know the James L. Brooks film can cost 120 million? Then I will believe anything budget wise. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have a feeling we'll, once we see this movie, we'll probably be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Um, and although I'm not the biggest, you know, Ryan Gosling fan, obviously, I do like, you know, plenty of movies that he's been in. Chris Evans, not one of my favorites in the MCU uh, either. Um but, you know, really loved the way that the character ended up and, you know, those last few MCU movies. Um, and I also so think Chris I, Evans has proven that that he has a lot more range beyond beyond being Steve Rogers and is in is maybe even anxious to, to break out of that yeah. role with something like Knives Out at the end of last year and then defending mm-hmm. Jacob earlier this defending year. Jacob, sure. Definitely a different flavor for him. 
Yeah, no. And I mean, so even if I, you know, even if I'm not as on board with the actors, I trust Joan Anthony Russo to, you know, make a movie that I am going to like, you know, because of, or, or you know, even in spite of the yeah, actors. Yeah. Exactly. Um, who, who knows? But yeah, I, I think this, this will be an interesting project to watch whenever we see it, you know, probably, probably years out now. Years down it, the line. Yeah. Depending uh, on when they shoot it, so. However, Scott, uh, a movie that we should actually see relatively soon on Netflix is one that I want to mention, um, and that is uh, this movie called, I believe, Apollo Ten and a Half is the name of the movie, um, and it is the newest. It, it will be the new film from my favorite director, Richard Linklater. Um, we last saw his film uh, "Where'd You Go, Bernadette" last year. It's um, a weird pronunciation you have of Chris Nolan. Can you say that <laughs> for me? No I'm kidding. Not my favorite. Uh, that would be you. Um, yeah. Richard, so Richard Linklater is going to be making this film, uh, his you know first film since Where'd You Go, Bernadette. And obviously, we also know he has Merrily We Roll Along, the Stephen Sondheim adaptation that he's making over 20 years. But he's done this before. He made Boyhood over 12 years. He made the Before Trilogy nine years apart. And he was making movies in between th then. So I think we always expected that he would be making other movies in between Bernadette and Merrily We Roll Along. And Turns out one of them is already filmed, though not quite finished. Um, and that's because um, he's going to be making this his third rotoscoped animation film. Waking Life was his first. Scanner Darkly was his second. It's a very unique style of animation, not used in many movies. Um, you know, if you don't know what it is, go go look it up. It's, it's very interesting. But he's going to be uh, making his third rotoscoped you know, animation film and the way that it works, right, is they, they film the whole thing in live action and then they animate over it. And so the movie has been filmed already um, and they just need to, to animate it now. So, you know, there's not a release date or anything on this, but it is supposed to be a coming of age story. Uh, imagine that for Richard Linklater um, set um, around uh, 1969 in the moon landing and, you know, about a boy sort of coming of age during this time. Um when when the moon landing is going on so obviously sounds like something right up my alley uh scott uh link leader veterans uh jack black and glenn powell are going to be in this thing um and so you know he's he's getting some of his old favorites back together um obviously this is something that i'm extremely excited for um i where'd you go bernadette is probably my least favorite movie that he's made so far but it was also not a very Linklatery type of movie, as we talked about when we reviewed that movie, mm -hmm. um, and this obviously very much is like the animation style, the themes, the cast, like everything about this says classic Linklater. And so, I think this is going to be really strong. Whenever we see it, it will be his first Netflix film. Um, but uh, look, if that means we get it sooner rather than later, then obviously I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, did you did you also mention that Zachary Levi is in this? That was one of the ones I thought was most interesting. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mention it because he's not a, a Linklater Link regular, Linklater. but yes, he yeah. is the other big name in the cast um, here, along with Glenn Powell and Jack yeah. Black. Yeah, big fan of that. And yeah, I mean, look, I'm looking forward to watching this film. I'm not as much of a Linklater veteran as you, considering I've seen, I guess I've seen getting, five or I've seen five or six there. Linklater yeah. films now. So I've seen a I've seen a, a, a few, I guess. But no, I'm looking forward to it. Like I've enjoyed most of the films that I've watched from because I've also watched his best films probably. So uh, I haven't gone down the filmography too deep, but yeah, I, like I'm looking forward to it and I'm excited that it did. It did. It did have the chance to already be filmed. And so it's just now it's just the rotoscoping work to 
get it done and maybe it'll be out by yeah i don't know october november yeah maybe no, that's that, optimistic though i don't know yeah I, I i don't know about this year like i feel like they would have said that in the article but you know maybe they don't know maybe they just don't know how long the animation process is going to take to your uh point uh but hey i mean look that would be awesome if um if he was able to put it out this year and maybe it could sneak in uh, for best animated feature at the Oscars next year, that'd be pretty dope. But um, either way, uh, I, I think this is going to be an awesome movie and I can't wait for it. So, um, okay. I think that should just about do yeah, well, it. Uh, so quick, quick correction. I yeah. did fit the Russo brothers. They, they, they have directed another movie. It's not out yet. It's called cherry. It's got Tom Holland dealing with like drug addiction and stuff like that. I know we've we've maybe mentioned it before on the podcast, but uh, that's going to that's filmed and almost done. I think it's probably set to come out anytime if they decide to drop it on VOD. I forget who it's for. Maybe maybe focus. I, I doubt I doubt focus. Actually, I'm not sure. Maybe screen gems. I'm not sure. It's an indie film. Yeah. OK, well, good to note. Um, OK, Scott, anything else to add before we uh, conclude? Uh, I don't think so. Wear a mask, guys. It's not going away because we're not wearing masks. In fact, I will put mine on right now for this uh, for this closing. Scott, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? I'm not going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> at Shelton2013. Uh, and I am at uh, Scarvy Dent. Um, I don't think my Twitter photo has me wearing a mask, but my Facebook photo does. So uh, there you go. But um, obviously, you know where I stand on wearing masks. Um, wear, wear them so that people like me don't get uh, coronavirus at the bar exam uh, in 10 days or nine days, however long. Wait, are they requiring people to wear masks in the bar exam? Yeah, What's yeah, the we, have to on that? we have to wear them the whole time. Yeah, the whole time. Well, that's sensible. Although here's here, this will be the final point out of the bar exam. But uh, in Mississippi, they oh, were, I saw this. I saw you tweeted this. Yeah, yeah they were dismissing proctors because they were high risk and they, they were they were giving lawyers younger lawyers pro bono hours to come proctor the exam because they didn't want the normal proctors doing it because they're high risk. So, yep. uh, you know, just just great like think about what you're think about what you're doing. Really flawless logic there. I really see no flaws in that logic whatsoever. But anyway, rant over. Um in 2 weeks I can finally stop talking about this thing. Um, oh no, Scott, I know that you'll continue to talk about it after. Don't I, worry. I, I probably will. I probably will. Uh but uh what I'm going to talk about now is where you can follow us on social media and such. We have our Patreon page, patreon.com slash media plug pods. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to support us over there, uh, that would be awesome. Even if you can't rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. Um, and don't forget about our newsletter, which you can subscribe to. Uh, it's in link is in the description to this episode. <coughs> And we hope you will be back for our next episode, which will be in two weeks. We are actually going to be taking a little bit of a summer vacation week. Also, you know, again, not to bring it up again, but the bar exam does have a, a reason for why we will be taking next week off. Um, but catch us again in, in two weeks. We'll be back after the, the summer vacation, the week-long summer vacation. And we hope you'll be back joining us. Uh, until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.